There it is, a win for the ages. This is All American, a new series from Stitcher. You realize Tiger Woods doesn't know who he is. Best in the history of golf, no question in my mind. And this season, we're asking. What if the story of Tiger Woods that the media has been telling, what if it's been completely wrong? Season one of All American premieres August 20th. Subscribe or favorite now. Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invitae. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invitae genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invitae.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E dot com. A couple weeks ago, on a sunny spring morning in London, Zoe woke up. Hi, my name is Zoe. She went through her morning routine. She showered, washed her hair, got out, put on her bra, and then... I looked down and realized I had been trying to apply a contact lens to my nipple instead of my usual nursing pad. Zoe, of course, is a sleep-deprived mom. Her baby is four months old. Zoe was so embarrassed by the contact lens on the nipple thing, she needed to know that she was not alone. So she posted to our closed Facebook group for moms. You can um, find the link to it at longestshortesttime.com. And she asked the other moms, what's the most ridiculous thing you've done because of sleep deprivation? Lots of moms wrote in, and um, we liked the answers so much that we got people to record them for us. And right now, I'm, I'm going to play you some of our favorites. Hi, my name is Jessa, and I once tried to brush my teeth with a pen. It wasn't that the pen felt particularly weird in my mouth. It was the loud, scraping sound of the metal pen cap against my teeth that tipped me off something was wrong. And I'm still to this day trying to figure out why there was a pen in my toothbrush holder to begin with. My name is Alice. One day I went to get something out of the car and I realized that both my boobs were out. Hi, my name is Leah. I got into the shower once with my glasses on. They fogged up and I thought I was going blind because I didn't remember that I was still wearing them. My name is Megan. One night after I'd put my son to sleep, took a shower and then promptly went to bed myself. I woke up a few hours later disgusted and horrified thinking there were small bugs crawling all over my face and pillow and it wasn't until I had started scraping them off my face just horrified that I realized I had forgotten to wash the facial scrub off my face in the shower the the night before. Oh. Hi, my name is Sarah. After my fourth daughter was born, I woke up after my very first postpartum nap in my own bed at home. Baby was crying, so I picked her up out of her bassinet, and then I started looking around for the other one, the other baby. And there wasn't a second bassinet, so I kind of started freaking out a little bit. I looked over at my bed, I'm pulling pillows and blankets off my bed, searching everywhere. I'm looking for her twin sister. And suddenly, after a few moments, I realized I only had one baby this time. My previous delivery had been a delivery of twins. And in my postpartum haze, I apparently forgot that there was only one. 
This is The Longest Shortest Time from WMYC. I'm Hillary Frank. When you're a sleep-deprived new parent, you stop behaving like yourself. And not in just the funny contact lens on the nipple way. You know, a lot of us become really insecure and also really judgy, which is normal when you've just had a baby, but sleep deprivation makes those feelings way, way worse. Moms who do cry it out feel tough and superior when it works. Moms who don't do cry it out feel maternally superior because the way they see it, they're not torturing their babies. And then um, moms who can't get anything to work, they just want to take out a voodoo doll and use it against all of those moms who are acting so smug about their good sleepers. In episode 11 of this show, an episode called Nap Boot Camp, this kind of competitiveness I'm talking about, you know, the smugness, the insecurities, the judging, bubbled to the surface. Though I was so in the middle of it all at the time, I didn't even realize it. In that show, I talked to a listener named Kate Bowman Johnston. I was the smug, cry-it-out mom, and she was the insecure, no-cry mom. Here's a clip from that episode with Kate talking about the lengths she used to go to to soothe her daughter, Adele. I would have to have her cradled in my left arm. She, like, wouldn't sleep if I had her in my right arm. Jiggling her with my finger in her mouth... She wouldn't suck on a pacifier. It had to be a human finger. (laughs) Kate and I recorded that conversation three years ago. In the meantime, our daughters turned four. And Kate had another child, a boy named Jack, who's now a year and a half. Over the last few years, Kate and I have become um, real friends. We haven't actually met, but we keep in touch over email. And, you know, we we tell each other what's really going on in our lives and, and with our kids. There's something I've been keeping from Kate, though, Um, something I've felt like I should tell her. So I finally called her up. Hello? Hi, Kate. Hi, Hillary. It's great to talk to you again. So there's a part of that old interview with Kate that whenever I think back to it, I cringe. And I know that it makes some of you cringe, too, um, because you've told me so in the comments on that episode. Anyway, here's the moment that makes me hate myself. She sleeps from like seven at night until six, six thirty in the morning. Um, That's amazing. I know, I know. <laughs> and I and I just I was talking to my husband about it. I think last night, and um, was like, I feel really proud. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. she's a good sleeper because we made her a good sleeper. I mean, she has something to do with it too. But, but like, we went through like this really hard thing that we made ourselves do and now and now we're all happier for it you know um not that I'm not I'm not like saying anyone should do cry it out or whatever but it really worked for us um yeah yeah so you know I I listen to that and I hear myself telling you (laughs) that like I was responsible for uh, getting Sasha to sleep and sounding like so smug about it. And I, and I feel like, oh my God, why was I, this woman is like telling me her sob story about how she can't get her kid to sleep. And here I am like rubbing it in her face. <laughs> I mean, that's totally not how I took it, <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's funny because I do think that you're responsible for getting Sasha to sleep well. You know, Mm -hmm. 
and that you found a way to get her to do that pretty early on that matched with her needs and your needs. And I think for me, it took so much longer to find a method that really worked for Adele. But it's funny because like when I listen to it back, I can hear like that you cringe at that. Um, Like why you would do that, but that's not how I took it because of what I was going through. It gave me those doubts again of like, oh my gosh, maybe I am doing this wrong. Like if she is responsible for getting Sasha to sleep well, does that mean I'm responsible for Adele not sleeping well? (laughs) And I was still pretty sleep deprived. So I don't think I thought of it in the moment. I wish I had had the presence of mind to ask you something like that. Cause I think it would, you know, the conversation would have taken on a different dimension. Yeah. And now we can have that conversation. That's amazing. And, and no, and no, I don't think that <laughs> you are responsible for Adele not being a good sleeper. I think it's just like you said, um, you know, each of our kids have different needs and each parent has different needs and each family as a whole has different needs. Right. And I don't know if cry it out would have worked for you guys, mm-hmm. or if you even wanted it to work for you, you know, like, right. And I think I was coming from a defensive place too. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been out with some moms and someone just like starts talking about cry it out and is like, I would never, never, ever do that with my child. It causes severe ADHD. And I was like, oh, boy. oh well, already did that. <laughs> like, Guess it's that- too late for Sasha. <laughs> um, but I think that sleep was one of the small triumphs mm-hmm. uh, so far in my career as a mom. Like mm-hmm. I think, um, and I've talked plenty on this podcast about feelings of failure right. and and struggle, like intense struggle. And so we all have these little triumphs of, amidst our struggles and yours might be different from mine. And I just wonder, like, is there a way to share our triumphs with each other? you know, in a way that won't make the other mom feel bad? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I have to believe that that's possible. But it it is such a tough thing to navigate because it seems implicit when you're saying, here's this thing that, that I am really proud of that went a certain way. Um, if it didn't go that way for the other person, it seems sort of implicit that you're judging them and saying they should have done it this way. And I don't know how to have that conversation without that being implicit, even if it's not actually there. So let's try this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Kate, Kate, tell me, tell me something. <laughs> tell me something that you feel proud of that feels like a triumph to you as a mom. I have to think about it because I'm not used to thinking of all of the things that I've gone through as a parent in terms of what are my triumphs? What are my things I'm really proud of? Um, I tend to kind of concentrate on the things that have gone at least a little bit awry, like not in a negative way, but because those are the things that you can really commiserate with somebody over. Um, You know, and maybe that's something that we as moms do is kind of like, you know, we kind of, we bitch about the bad stuff together and it feels more like sympathetic or something. Um, so something 
that I think has been a high point for me and something that I'm really proud of is um, that I was able to uh, breastfeed both of my children. Um, Adele nursed until she was 16 months old, um, and she basically weaned herself at that time. And my son, Jack, is 18 months old, and he's still nursing. Um, And he had a number of health problems early on that made breastfeeding really difficult to stick with. Um, When he was about a month old, Jack started having this like really mucousy green stool. And not long after that, it started having little specks of blood in it. And not long after that, he was having these super bloody diapers that were basically just mucus and blood. Um, he was having these diapers like anywhere from eight to 12 times a day, um, at about four months old. And were they painful for him? Um, it didn't really seem like he was in pain. Uh, he always has been a really happy kid. He was a very happy infant considering that he had these like murder diapers that he was (laughs) (laughs) producing multiple times a day. Kate found out that Jack had something called allergic colitis, um, a condition that only affects babies. Allergic colitis basically means your colon is irritated. Usually that irritation comes from an allergy to the protein in cow's milk. And that protein can pass through a nursing mom's breast milk if she eats dairy or even has a splash of milk in her coffee. To complicate things even more, um, it turned out Jack had tongue tie and lip tie. That's a condition where um, the connecting skin under the baby's tongue or under the lip um, is too short and it makes it hard for the baby to latch. And it also made it really painful for Kate to breastfeed. So they got the tongue and lip tie surgically corrected and that did help Jack's latch, but he was still having the bloody diapers. So Kate started eliminating things from her diet um, one by one until she was only eating bananas and sweet potatoes. And then um, to get some protein, she um, added in chicken after having been a vegetarian for a dozen years. And none of it worked. Jack's doctor said not to worry, you know, that Jack would grow out of it. And he was fine with Kate continuing to breastfeed as long as she could handle the bloody diapers. And... At a certain point, I just couldn't handle the diapers. I mean, it was just horrible to see all of this blood coming out of your child's body. So um, I decided to switch him to Nutramagen formula, which is an elemental formula. It's very broken down. All the proteins are broken down to be really easy to digest. It smells horrible. It smells like dog food. (laughs) And... So we switched over to that. I was still pumping just in case I could continue breastfeeding to some degree. So, you know, I was making bottles, feeding bottles, pumping, washing, pumping equipment. It was it was just all consuming. And within a few days, things got better with the poop situation. Um, and it was because the formula was constipating him. So he wasn't like shredding his colon 12 times a day. Um, so he was, you know, he started only pooping like once a day or once every other day and it started looking more and more normal. So I started slowly reintroducing breastfeeding and around day nine, he like totally rejected the bottle and 
totally rejected the formula. So at that point, I needed to um, switch back to nursing because like, what else do you do? There's only a couple ways to feed your child. So and it was completely fine after that. It, it seemed like he just needed to heal. And it has been like normal ever since. It was such hard work. <laughs> it was like, I mean, I thought naps with Adele were like my low point, <laughs> but this was a whole nother ball game and it was so hard. And I'm, I'm so proud of myself that I stuck with it. So, you know, I'm just imagining like, okay, what if you tell this story to um, like a mom who, for whatever reason, couldn't breastfeed and you're telling this story and you're like, I'm so proud that I was able to breastfeed in the end. Mm. Like, is there a way to tell that story to that mom that feels okay? That's a great question. I mean, I, I definitely feel like because we did switch to formula, um, it was very humbling for me as someone who had exclusively breastfed my daughter and considered myself like very pro breastfeeding. It was extremely humbling. Um, I couldn't even feed Jack his first bottle of formula. I had to have my really close friend Leah come over and uh, she had had to switch to formula. She hadn't been able to breastfeed her son. And I like called her up in tears and had her come over and she had to feed him his first bottle of formula because it was just so not what I had planned. Um, I think even though I never would have said that I judged formula feeding moms at all, I think that there was a little part of me that did. And the hardest part for me about feeding Jack formula was the prospect of going out in public and doing it and potentially having other people make those judgments about me. Like that's when I realized that I had been judging other people was when I was almost paralyzed by the idea of having to go out in public and give my baby a bottle and like, what would other people think about me? You know, would they think that I was ignorant and just didn't know that breastfeeding was really the best thing to do for your baby? Or would they think that I was, um, you know, I, I don't know. I like whatever had gone through my mind about other people <laughs> was suddenly being visited on me. And I mean, I felt like I wanted to like wear a sign and be like, I really struggled. I really tried to breastfeed and I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, gosh, how many other moms have I been sitting there kind of looking at askance who wished that they could wear a sign like that? There are lots of times I wish I could wear the kind of sign Kate's talking about. Lately, I've definitely wanted one of those signs to explain my behavior when I'm driving with a screaming toddler in the backseat. But if you've listened much to this podcast, you'll know that the number one parenting thing I wish I could wear a sign about is childbirth. The message I'd write would be directed at moms who had natural childbirths, and it would say something like, I am like you. I was prepared for the hard work that natural childbirth takes, you know, to do it without drugs or being cut. 
But in the end, that's not what I got. Kate, it turns out, is one of those natural birth moms I'd be talking to with a sign like that. Both labors were hard in different ways, but basically both ended up the way that I wanted them. Um, I went into labor at P.F. Chang. (laughs) Over the last few years, um, Kate and I have talked a lot about parenting struggles, but I realized until now she had never told me her birth story. She says she's kept it from me because she was afraid it would make me feel bad, which actually that in and of itself made me feel bad. Because, you know, who wants to think they're keeping a friend from sharing one of the biggest, most important stories of their lives with you? That time I pushed for 13 minutes. It was really fast. You know, the way I see it, um, friendship is not real if you can't share your good times along with the bad. And yeah, it it was hard to hear Kate describe her childbirth experiences and and to feel like she got to have what I wanted and did not get. But the way she talked about it as a complex thing that didn't come easy helped. I think, like, I made some decisions that were helpful in having the birth that I wanted, but it wasn't because, like, you know, I was better at birthing or something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But so now, now I see like, this is a great conversation because now I feel like, I I don't want to say like, now I feel like we're even, (laughs) that's not what this is about, but I just, but I feel like we're more equal. Like we're having more of an equal conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I spent so much time when I was a brand new parent worrying about whether I was doing it right. I mean, I just, that was constantly what I was thinking. And and I almost never thought I was doing it right. So I think I'm at a place now where it's less about doing it right and more about doing what's right for my kids and recognizing that other people are doing the same thing. So I feel like that's partly what enables our conversation to feel more even at this point too, not just that we each won some things and lost some things, you know, in the, the parenting Olympics or whatever. <laughs> I, I won sleep and you won childbirth. Right. Right. And, and nobody won breastfeeding. <laughs> that was a draw. Yeah. And, um, I think so like, how could I, how could I have told you that I felt responsible for Sasha becoming a better sleeper in a way that wouldn't make me cringe now or wouldn't yeah make you wonder am I responsible for Adele being a bad sleeper yeah so I'm not even sure I like have a suggestion for how you could have done anything differently I feel like for me that like it's all on my end that I could have just listened to that and said I'm so glad that worked for you you know, I chose a different way of doing it. And that way was fine for my family. Like, what what do you think would have made you cringe less? <laughs> yeah, I think I could have made it more clear to you that I did um, struggle with sleep for a long time. Yeah. And maybe I didn't make it clear because I didn't feel like it was my biggest struggle. Like, honestly, like the sleep was in some ways, the least of my worries, you right. know, I was like more in survival mode for a long time and getting my own body to heal. And so I think that maybe when I was talking about sleep, it was, it didn't have as much weight for me. 
as right some other stuff. And I think that's the thing is like as parents, we each have weight in different areas for different reasons. I mean, it's kind of like basic communication stuff, right? It's saying to the other person, that sounds like it was so hard for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then communicating your own triumphs in such a way that gives a full picture of that story. But then the listener has to receive it as like, this person is just telling me their story. Mm-hmm. not making a judgment on me. <laughs> right. So both people in the conversation have a role to play there. The things that they're proud of themselves for as a parent, um, which can really seem few and far between sometimes, you know, <laughs> we should get to do that. <laughs> Kate Bowman Johnston in Philadelphia. Kate says she did not have to do any of the jiggling or finger-in-the-mouth business with her son, Jack. All she'd do is nurse him, rock him, and put him in his crib, and he'd stay asleep for hours. So it feels like a triumph, but not really, because I didn't work hard for it. Now you're just bragging about your baby. Right. (laughs) Like, it was all him. It was not... I did not do anything to achieve his sleep habits. For those of you who have struggled with breastfeeding like Kate did, we've got a very exciting event coming up. The fabulous lactation consultant Nancy Holtzman will be fielding your questions in our breastfeeding Google Hangout. That's coming up on Tuesday, June 17th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time, so save the date. Even if you can't watch live, we can still give Nancy your questions. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your questions as a comment in the post called Ask a Lactation Consultant. And make your questions good. We will be choosing one of you to join us live on video in the Hangout to talk directly with me and Nancy. This event is one of many that we've got in the works. The best way to stay on top of it all? Sign up for our newsletter at longestshortesttime.com. support today comes from diapers.com. Get 20% off your first order at diapers.com with the code longest20. That's longest20. You can also use the discount on any of their other sites where you can find things like swaddling blankets, sleep sacks, and bedtime stories. Helpful stuff no matter how you get your baby to sleep. This podcast is a production of The Longest Shortest Time and WNYC. The show is produced by myself and Joanna Solitaroff. Jim Briggs is our engineer. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon and Paula Zuckman and to everyone who submitted sleep deprivation stories to us. I'm Hillary Frank, back in two weeks at 3 a.m. And as always, if you have a story of a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, 
and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.